In his book, Living Inspired, Rabbi Akiva Tatz wrote the following. Maimonides described life as a dark night on a stormy plain, lashed by the rain, lost in the darkness. One is faced with despair. Suddenly, there's a flash of lightning. In a millisecond, the scenery is as clear as day, one's direction obvious. But just as soon as it is perceived, it disappears, and one must fight on through the storm with only the memory of that flash for guidance. The lightning lasts very briefly. The darkness may seem endless. That is the pattern of life, short-lived inspiration and lengthy battles. The tools needed are determination, perseverance, and a stubborn refusal to despair. Personal ordeals which make despair seem imminent are, a real, in reality, a father's hand withdrawn so that you can learn to walk. And the work of remembering the flash of light when it seems impossible is imuna, or faith. Wise words as we enter into this week's Torah portion. Welcome to Beth Takun and our ongoing study of the Torah. This week we're in portion Devarim, which means words. And it can be found in Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 3, verse 22. I'm Tim Pell, and I'm glad you're here. Let's dive in. A basic outline of the chapter is this. In chapter 1, we have the appointment of judges, the report of the spies. In chapter 2, marching orders and the conquest of Sichon. Chapter 3, the conquest of Og and the settlements of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. There are some other things in there too, but that gives a basic structure. Now let's review a few of the things that we have learned in the past years and past Torah cycles before today. Devarim, of course, means words, and it has as its root the word dabar, which is dalet, bait, resh. This word dabar is a verb that means uh, to speak uh, or, or words in, in the respect of giving a, a driving direction through a field, right? This is also the same root, root word found in the word midbar, which is the uh, Hebrew word for the book of Numbers, the midbar which means wilderness. So here we have this connection between words, the words of God, and the wilderness. Um, we could say pretty distinctly that in the wilderness is where God really speaks to us, where he uses his words and where we can hear them more clearly. In the wilderness we struggle, we, uh, we depend more on him, we have very little with us. We are, we are only ourselves in the wilderness, uh, etc. So imagine that. Imagine the, the wildernesses of your life, whether you're in one right now or have been in, in many. There's a likelihood that you've heard God speak in there. The, uh, the book of Deuteronomy is also called uh, the Mishnah Torah, uh, traditionally, uh, the, or the repetition of the Torah, the second Torah. In the Greek, Deuteronomy, that, is, uh, that, that means second law um, because it's the, it's the retelling or it's the law the second time. It's a retelling of the law, Mishnah Torah. And it's also traditionally the beginning of 
what is referred to by the rabbis as the oral Torah. And what, how I'm going to define that is the, the oral Torah is basically the understandings of how to do the Torah that we arrive at together as we discuss and converse and communicate together and pass down what it is we learn. In a sense, the oral Torah is never fully completed because we are all coming to it fresh. We take what we have, been in, what we have learned uh, through passing it down uh, and we add to it or take away from it. It's constantly changing. And earlier uh, this week, David and I were discussing this a little bit and came to a, an interesting insight. In the Hebrew, in the Torah scroll, and in Hebrew in general, there are no vowels. Hebrew is only consonants. And if we take that as a representative of, of the unchanging, clearly defined Torah, the law, that's the consonants. The less clear or imperfect, changing wrestlings we have with it are the verbs the breathy sounds that come between the letters, between the consonants. And we only know what those are when we speak them to each other. You can come to a Torah scroll, see only consonants, but you'll only know how it's pronounced if it has already been spoken to you. So again, the Torah, the written Torah, as God revealed himself to mankind, is unchanging. It is clearly defined. But there is there's much room for wrestling with it and trying to understand what it says. That is the things we pass down orally as we speak the Torah into the lives of each other. Pretty cool, I think. Another picture here is that God is preparing the people to go into the land. Um, and the land here is a picture of the spiritual life. Naturally, as you pass through the wilderness, you are tested. You struggle. You hear God's voice. And if you listen to his voice, then you are ready to go into the spiritual life, into the land. But what kind of people can go into the land and possess it? A redeemed people? A tested people? A, a Torah people? A broken people? Courageous and humble people? faithful and trusting people, a victorious people, but not a perfect people. Remember that. Going on into some verses, let's check out chapter 1, verse 19. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying as it says here in the ESV, or great and awesome, as it says in other translations, the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. Great and terrifying, great and awesome. This descriptor is only found two times in the Torah, once here in Deuteronomy 1.19, and a second time in Deuteronomy 7.21, here it's describing the wilderness. In chapter 7, verse 21, it's describing God. So again, we have a picture here of the purpose, or we have a better understanding of the purpose of the wilderness, that it is God. It is his hand, or it's even his hand being withdrawn so that we can learn to walk and come into the land, into the spiritual, uh, the spiritual life. That's 1, verse 19. 
Uh, same chapter, verses 26 through 28. Yet you would go up, be rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. What we fear concerning the land, concerning the spiritual life, concerning what it would be really to walk with our Messiah, what we fear about it we, will befall us in the wilderness. And that's where this despair can come in and keep us from entering the land. Let me say that again. What we fear concerning the land, what we fear concerning the spiritual life, the redeemed life, will befall us in the wilderness. So don't fear. Same chapter, verse 34. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore. Okay, that's a short verse. But the lesson here is, if we refuse to follow God into the unknown, the known will become hateful to us. Trust, we must trust that what is unknown to us is known to God, for he has already gone before you. Just like Joshua, as he was being commissioned. He is one who will go out and come back, lead them out and uh, lead them out and lead them lead them in and lead them out. Our our redeemer uh, it has gone before us, and so we must not fear. Chapter two, verse sixteen. So as soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from among the people, men of war. Uh, this, this phrase here, men of war, it means, uh, it means men of war, but it also can mean men able to do war. Um, and the fact that they are in the midst of the people tells us something. They, these are men who, who are able to do war, but refused. Uh, they, again, were, were fearful. Uh, or they did not agree. Or they, were, they, were, um, they were rebellious, or they just refused. They, they, didn't, they didn't understand what it meant to be, to be men, to be people who go to war. And these are not simple warriors. These are, they aren't simply just warriors. These are people who, who just refuse to go. And men like that in a community, in a gathering, in a congregation, anywhere, men like that are A, a detriment to their children, B, they lose their reward, and three, they die anyway. So if death is what was keeping them from going, well, that was, a, that was a silly reason because they're going to die anyway. Plus, they're not teaching their children how to be uh, spiritually whole and mature and adult. And they lose their reward in the end. Going on to chapter 3 and verse 21. 321. <clears throat> and I commanded Joshua at that time, 
Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. And the two kings here are Sihon and Og. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. If we, if we recall uh, some, some lessons previously where, where Sihon is re- representative of human understanding. And Og is representative of the addiction to comfort. All spiritual warfare follows the pattern of Sihon and Og. Remember that. Uh, And if you need more uh, insight into it, I I encourage you to go and look and see how Sihon and Og are described. Get into the Hebrew there uh, and really uh, unearth and reveal how it is that these two are human reasoning and comfort. And think to yourself also, how, how has human reasoning kept me from the spiritual life? How has addiction to comfort kept me from the spiritual life? Um, this is just, this is the pattern. This is the pattern and the two things we really must do battle against. We must go in, be men of war who go to war. Um, and then finally, there is a, a passage in, in chapter 1, 1 verse 10, that I, find, I found interesting when I read this through earlier in the week. I, I stopped and, I, and I, I thought, I think that there's something here. So this is what I think it is. Uh, 1 verse 10. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. Or you are, you are today like the stars of heaven in their multitude. This is what I think is being, is being uh, um, uh, represented here. I believe that the promise to make Abraham's descendants a multitude is now fully realized, but not as a number. In other words, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts here. It, it isn't a quantity of individuals, but a vast quality that one would not think to try and count. The night sky, if you've ever seen it, uh, without any uh, light pollution from the city or town you live near. If you can see the sky uh, uninhibited uh, by light, by other light, you'll see so many stars. You'll be overwhelmed by it. But it is the sky. It is one, but it is so, so many. And you wouldn't even think to start counting them to see just how many there are. Now, there are ways to do this uh, through telescopes and algorithms and, and computers and, 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 and such. But after a certain point, a number so big can't even be fathomed anyway. So here's Moses looking at this multitude, seeing the millions of people. And he is seeing the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. Uh, A promise not of numbers, but of quality, of fullness. Uh, Of course, Moses then goes on to say that he he hopes that there is even greater uh, 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 abounding growth in the people. May the Lord, the God of our fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as as he has promised you. So again, here is, here is the fulfillment of, 
uh, of a promise to Abraham uh, as it as if it's a gift to Moses, that he is able to see this. He is the one who can see this before they enter into the spiritual life, enter into the land. I think this is a beautiful picture. Uh, and again, it keeps us from trying to quantify or count things. There's, there's something so much deeper than, than can be quantified. Um, and he's able to see it and, and relay that back to them. And, and two, the wilderness has, in a sense, caused the, the people to shine in the darkness, a kind of shimmering unity. Again, when you look at the night sky, you see, you're not just seeing, you're not simply seeing or only seeing the night sky, singular, but you're seeing a, this shimmering unity of incalculable, by our own ability to reason or understand, points of light that represent in and of themselves something vast, something huge, whether it's a solar system or a galaxy or, or another, other worlds, uh, other planets, moons, any, anything. There's so, much, there's so much that we can't see that just a single point of light in the night sky represents. That is what he was seeing when he looked out on the people. Each person was their own world, was their own universe, and add that, all those added up is something incomprehensible. And that is the power of our God as he brings us out of the wilderness and leads us into the spiritual life. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. So ask yourself this. What has God spoken to me in the wilderness? Not, not me in my wilderness, obviously. Ask this of yourself. What has God spoken to me in my wildernesses? How did he speak it? And did I listen? Ask yourself also, what really is keeping me from entering the land, from entering the spiritual life? Hasn't your Joshua, your Yeshua, already gone in before you to conquer it? The last verse of this portion is, and I'll add the two last verses together, Don't be afraid of all the kingdoms you encounter when you cross over because Adonai, your Elohim, will fight on your behalf. The end of the story is victory, people. Don't get distracted by all the battles you have to fight along the way and do not despair. May God bless you and may he make us into the people he wants us to be. Shabbat Shalom.